0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Ringo Santiago. Ringo, how you doing?
1: Hey, great, Anthony. Great to be here.
0: Well, thanks for joining me, and thanks for coming back to your old stomping grounds of Asher Agency.
1: Yeah, I don't recognize any of it right now. So when when were
0: you? You you mentioned this to me on the way in, but when were you last here?
1: Um, I believe I visited once or twice after 2007. Which is when I left.
0: Okay, all right. You were here for nine years, correct?
1: Yes, nine and a half years.
0: All right, and you worked when Asher was a little bit down the street in the old gray house, correct? Or no? Have you always been in this building.
1: Always been in this building. All right, okay. So I started. You know, I was at By Design at the time, and then um, interviewed with Asher, accepted a job over Addie's weekend. So on Friday I left By Design. I spent Addie's with Asher, and the oh, wow. following Monday. Started huh. here.
0: All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that career path because you yeah. have a really interesting one. <laughs> and we were just talking about this with another person that you actually started your career path thinking you want to go into chemical chemical engineering. <laughs> so, so how do you? Okay. So, so start further back than I, that.
1: I'll go way back. Yeah.
0: Let's go back to the beginning, whatever that is yeah. for you.
1: Um, born in the Philippines, grew mm-hmm. up till I was nine there. So, why does your family come to the U.S.? So, the story is. My dad came to find a better life, Mm -hmm. get a job in the U.S. There was a job market. Um, We had family in the U.S. So he was coming to work with, I I believe it was my mom's uncle Mm -hmm. at a company. So that was in 1969. Flew to the U.S. under the guise of bettering our lives. Left the kids and mom at home in the Philippines. Come to find out as I got older... His first step once he got to the U.S. got off the plane. A buddy of his met him at the plane. They went to a sporting goods store, bought golf clubs, and they went golfing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was some of the driver. So it was a really some of that. It was more some about of the driver. Friends.
0: No pun intended. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so all right. So you you move here when you're nine. Nine years old. Okay, and you grow up where?
1: In Detroit area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, flew in. Uh, got to our house in Commerce Township, Michigan, and it was Devil's Night. Imagine.
0: Okay. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> so had you been to the U.S. before that ever? No. What are your first impressions then?
1: Um, Devil's Night was strange. <laughs> um,
0: For those who don't know, explain yeah. what Devil's Night is.
1: Devil's Night is the night before Halloween when a lot of mischief happens, mm-hmm. especially with younger preteens and teens. Yeah. And back in the day, it was, you know, Toilet paper, mm-hmm. trees, yeah. egg houses, tomatoes, yeah. and so forth. And it was just this, back then, somewhat um, harmless ritual. Yeah,
0: sure, sure. So
1: that followed up by the next evening where you're walking around the neighborhood and people are giving you candy. <laughs> so just strange, yeah. strange things that I had no idea about.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and are you fluent in English at that time? When yes. When you moved to the U.S.? Okay. Yes, so
1: right. one of the things in... In the Philippines, we had to speak English okay. as um, uh, you know our, our second language. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think it was either first or second grade, there was a one-hour period every day where we had to speak all English, okay. and if you didn't speak English or you spoke some non-English words, you had to put a nickel in the jar. Oh, wow. I don't know what ever happened to that jar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so where do you go from there, and, and how do you end <clears throat> up in Indiana?
1: Um, so, grew up in Michigan mm-hmm. through high school and college. Yep. Um, went to, you know, got to um, elementary school, mm-hmm. and back then they were uh, leveling students and putting them in different groups. Mm-hmm. As obviously a somebody coming in from outside the country, nobody knew what we could or couldn't do and yeah, what sure. we could handle academically. Yeah. So, again, I could speak English. Um, put in all the lower levels, mm-hmm. but quickly made it through. So I, I did pretty well academically all through elementary, middle yeah. school, and high school. And that's what led me to my supposed career path where I was very good in math uh-huh. and science. Okay, um, I had a, I had a little bit of an engineering mind in yep. terms of not knowing how to make things work, but enough curiosity where I would mm-hmm. take things apart. Yep, But the clue there was... I always had leftover parts, so I don't know if that was efficiency or incompetence. I'm yeah. not sure yet. I still don't know. Um, so I decided to go into chemical engineering. My okay. father was uh, packaging engineering, yeah. packaging engineer for a company that was in uh, uh, Wald Lake, Michigan. Okay. Um, so I went to Michigan State, mm-hmm. chemical engineering, dove right into the academics, honors courses, you know, freshman year. Realized I was way over my head, and you know, and I don't know that I. I mean, I did well enough academically, but I never picked up on the basic understanding of Mm -hmm. chemistry and engineering and physics and
0: yeah. Well, that's a lot to pick up on calculus. Yeah, for sure, for sure. (laughs) As someone who never even came close to picking up on it, I can empathize. (laughs) Yeah. So, what do you do next, and and how do you get there from chemical engineering?
1: Um, You do a lot of exploration of the things you like. So. I explored maybe teaching mm-hmm. biochemistry because I still enjoyed chemistry at that time mm-hmm. with a le- uh, um, lower engineering requirement. Yeah. It was a path, but I came upon a program at Michigan State that combined um, math and engineering and science with art okay. um, called industrial design. Yeah. And, you know, it's industrial design now, I believe, people talk about um, actually. It's Back then, it was industrial design or product design. Mm-hmm. Product design has a different meaning now okay. in our electronic world, but it was more um, designing everything you see around you. Yep. Um, so, I, it was called engineering arts. I followed that path. I still didn't quite have enough, uh, good enough grades to get into engineering school, mm-hmm. but that path led me to industrial design. Okay. Um, initially, as a uh, Bachelor of Arts mm-hmm. concentration, and then... Eventually, it became fine arts pursuit for me, so I actually graduated a fine art degree in industrial design with a graphic design and photography kind of emphasis.
0: Okay, and what's your first job out of school, and how do you find (laughs) it?
1: Related to the industry?
0: Well, your first job out of school at all. I want to kind of see how you get from point A to point. Yeah,
1: so, I mean, during school, I worked fast food maintenance. But once I graduated... I spent about three months looking for that job in industrial design, mm-hmm. uh, talking to um, firms in Chicago. Yeah. Nothing really panned out. One of the summers before I graduated, I worked for a small ad agency in Farmington Hills, Michigan. And I believe that was 1987, which really dates this. <laughs> uh, but that was... You and when, I
0: just being alive. Yeah, like this. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: that was when um, there's... Beginning of a transition to using Macs for at the time it was desktop publishing, now it's for everything creative. Yeah, so So you could come in, you could have
0: that as your entry point and be fine because everybody's learning it. Yes, yeah, okay. Uh,
1: In fact, I was lucky to work in a place um, that had really good connections with actually somebody who had an office downstairs from us that um, was in the publishing industry using computers on the front end. Okay. And I won't bore you with the specific details, but the idea there was we were pretty leading edge or bleeding edge in terms of the software, the hardware, Mm -hmm. and using uh, computers in that to create the advertising and designs that we were doing. And this was my summer job, but then followed up with my first job All right, out of college.
0: So, so you had access to the right tools where you could learn at an accelerated pace. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that job, how long are you at that job where this is, this is now your first job as a graphic designer? Correct. correct? And how long correct. are
1: you there? Uh, four and a half years.
0: Okay. So where do you go from there and why do you make that switch?
1: Um, I think I got to the point where I was working with a client, BASF Corporation. <clears throat> it was an automotive refinish. And the projects that they were um, having our agency do just – and the direction they were giving us just didn't make sense. I didn't agree from the creative direction and where we were going with it. So I started looking around and found a company called By Design mm-hmm. in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay, Never been. Didn't know anything about them. <laughs> sent a resume. through an ad. Connected. Somehow made it here. <laughs> wow.
0: Okay. So, by design, tell me about what that agency looks like at the time. How many employees and any specialties?
1: Uh, special. Yeah, there was a lot of interesting work that was being done by the uh, by design, both in the um, scholastic fundraising industry. Ah, okay. You know, cook- Book fairs. No, not necessarily, but more like um, collectibles. collectibles, tins, mugs, oh, okay, all right, um, decorative items around the house, which is really uh, different from a school fund- scholastic ah, fundraising okay. products. But there was, you know, we got to the point where we were designing up to 250 products every oh wow year okay for that fundraising industry. On the flip side of that, they were doing work for DePew uh-huh. at the time, mm-hmm. uh, knee knee products, yep. shoulder products, some hip products, and mm-hmm. a couple other programs. Yeah, okay. So definitely very diverse.
0: And, and how many people are you working with at the agency?
1: <sighs> Maybe 10, 12. Okay. I don't recall. So
0: it's, so bigger than where you were, but yeah. still, st- still small. Yeah. All yeah. right. So how long are you there, and then what do you do next?
1: So four and a half years there. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot from a design perspective, but I felt like I wasn't using my uh, creative thinking or just thinking in general because it was design for design's sake. So I started getting a little antsy, started looking around, um, talked to a few people, ended up at Asher Agency.
0: Okay, so this is what year?
1: 1992.
0: Okay, 92 you joined Asher. No.
1: 98, sorry.
0: 98, okay.
1: Yes, I moved to Fort Wayne in 92.
0: Okay, so 98, you're at Asher. So Tim and Tom Borney are running the place. Your work, Jill Brown, who's still here. Larry Wardlow, who's still here. A lot of people you and I know who have moved on to other things. Jen Roberts is there for part of that time.
1: Actually, Jen Roberts was at By Design for a little while while I was there. I left there. Really? Came to Asher a few years later. Actually, Jen... Was Jen here? I think
0: you and Jen were here. Oh, I don't know. It's been, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. been a while. Yeah.
1: Again, yeah. old brain, right? No, <laughs> yeah. Jen and I worked closely together yeah. for several years.
0: <laughs> so so talk about, because I joined Asher. You started Asher in 98. I started at Asher in 2004. So you've yeah. got a good six years yeah. of, of bliss before I come here. <laughs> What's yes. Asher like in, in the late 1990s, early 2000s? Uh,
1: a great place to work, great people, a lot of fun. Um, sometimes, you know, the fun was unmentionable. <laughs> Back in the day when you can do that yeah. as an ad agency. So it was your typical ad agency yeah. with creatives who, you know, sometimes went outside the lines. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. It, was, it was a great place, uh, good people, good clients. I've met a lot of people early on in the industry and through Asher yep. um, in the time that I was here. Yep. A lot of good people.
0: Yep, and... And at that time, about 20, 25 people maybe, or not quite that big?
1: 23-ish. 23-ish. Yes. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. So you're at Asher until 2007? 2007. And then where do you go from there?
1: Um, I went to... Kendallville, Indiana.
0: To Caldwell. To Caldwell. And explain what Caldwell is because is this where you work? Did you work with Christy Spencer? I did. All right. Christy was on the podcast previously. Yeah. And she explained Caldwell really well, but I still don't quite understand what Caldwell does. And and
1: she'll always explain it much better than I will because I was a little bit lost in that environment because, you know, all I've known all along was a graphic design agency, ad agents, or design agency, and an ad agency. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was sitting at my desk downstairs here at Asher, yep. and I got this call, and says, "Hey, this is Christy. I'm just down the hall at Wolf Color Graphics. Mm-hmm. You know, let's yep. talk." So conversations happened. She was looking for somebody creative yeah. internally, and talked me into coming. And I gladly went and yeah. tried to discover yeah. a new path for me. Yeah. Um, so Caldwell designed. And manufactured sampling products, both Mm -hmm. in the paint industry and back then also in the um, window coverings, did some automotive, uh, color sampling, lots Mm -hmm. of color sampling. You know, most of the chips, Mm -hmm. paint chips and paint samples that most people have seen, either Caldwell had an influence or produced them.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So, how long are you at Caldwell?
1: One year. All right. And that was 2007 to 2008, and I don't have to really go over what 2008 meant. <laughs> yeah, if, if you
0: don't know why 2008 was a transformational yeah. year, then good for you, because yeah. that means you didn't live through it. Yeah. So then you go to Britain at that point, is that correct?
1: Uh, a couple months later, yeah. So Caldwell had a downsizing, Yep. and I was naive enough to not understand or know what was going on. Um, the day before, you know, I, I was creating graphics for an executive meeting, and All the numbers didn't look good,
2: right? Yeah. And I didn't
1: put two and two together. So I got called (laughs) down to the, um, actually with Christy to say, hey, um, you know, can you come down and let's talk? So I go down there and I walk in and head of HR was there. (laughs)
0: That's always a bad sign.
1: It's at that point where I realized, (laughs) okay, I know what's going on. But, you know, it was what it was. Yeah, sure. It's Christy and a lot of people
0: were in that position. Very good friends today.
1: Um, I'm one of these people that I guess... I've always looked at that situation and and understood why things yeah, happen. For sure. So, for sure. So no no hard feelings, no For sure. It's just another opportunity, I guess, to move on.
0: Yep. So you go to Britain and yep. and is, is Brian your on trade Britain, Brian Englehart, or is he
1: So prior to that situation of being let go at Caldwell, I had spoken with Sue and Jeff.
2: Aha. Okay. And
1: at that point they were just starting Britain. Yeah. So, they were a few months into doing that. They probably had eight, nine employees, I believe. And, um, you know, two hours into the conversation, I just said, I'm not sure if this is quite the right mm-hmm. situation yet, but let's stay in touch. And it was actually probably a few months later that I reached out and said, Hey, you remember me?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and so that led to conversation after conversation. I joined in October of 2008.
0: Okay. All right, so, and and Britain at that time is about how big at that point? Eight to ten. So about the same size? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and is is Brian Englehart, who was at Asher, is he there yet? Or Not yet. He follows you, okay. Yes. All right, I didn't realize that, okay.
1: And so, actually, I don't remember the timeline, but so did Christy. Okay, all right. Well. <laughs> Her comment was, you cost more now than when I had you in-house, so I'm getting the same, essentially, the same ideas but at a higher cost to
0: me.
1: But it was, no, it's, I've been fortunate to work with great people and great organizations.
0: Yeah. So, so Britain, is it doing a lot of work in the paint industry at that time? Or is that, does that kind of come with you and Christy in the background?
1: It mostly came with Mm Christy. So when, when I started there, there were a lot of um, side projects that we were trying to ramp up in in industries, but the main client was Vera Bradley. Mm -hmm. So we had a core team that was doing all the Vera Bradley work, and then we had what we called the studio, which was a few of us who pitched in where we needed to pitch in for Vera Bradley Mm -hmm. overflow work, and we also had our own smaller projects.
0: Yep, okay. So how long are you at Britain, and where do you go from there?
1: Nine and a half years. Nine and a half years, okay, wow. And after nine and a half years, again— Industry change, yep. downsizing happened. Yeah, um, I was one of those that was downsized, yep. and that's when I kind of, you know, at a reflective moment of what should I do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd been in that industry again in that, like I said, nine and a half years, and to be let go was again, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. But understood that you yep. know the work wasn't there. Yep. The um, We didn't have the capacity or the work to fill the capacity that we had. So Britain shrank Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty um, sizably. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started thinking about what I should do. But in the meantime, I would I started freelancing for some of the relationships I had. So that got really busy. Yeah, Um, More hours than I think. I was used to working, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to say no. Yeah. So I burned out a little bit. Yeah. But in that time frame, as I thought about, you know, at that crossroad in my career, I'm like, what am I going to do? Kids in high school still, family to support.
0: So you um, know college bills are coming. Yes.
1: So I decided to start looking around at maybe is is a time for a career change? Mm -hmm. And one of the avenues, I, I didn't pursue it that hard, but I did. Pursue some online where I looked at um, this career survey, a career change survey, Mm -hmm. pretty extensive survey. It was about 400 questions, and the results came back um, graphic designer, creative director, (laughs) art director, photographer, and then one oddball. So, I'm like, well, I guess I'm not what changing my career. Ball? I don't recall. It might have been <laughs> chemical <like>
0: engineering.
1: <laughs> Forest Ranger or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so it kind of confirmed it, I'm in it the right career. I'm path. in the yeah. right path. Yeah. You know, and that's where I built my strengths, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, keep pursuing that. Yeah. And that's when um, Ambassador Enterprises came into the picture. Okay. I was introduced to the time, the, the brand, Mark, you know, the head of the brand, and we had a conversation. And ambassador's process is pretty extensive in terms of um, interviews with different team members, different kinds of interviews, assessments. Um, so it was a probably a two-month process in making sure that, A, ambassador is a right fit for the candidate, but, B, also that the candidate is a right fit for ambassador. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking to myself, if nothing else, I got some great insight and, and self-analysis that I could bank on and yeah. look at to get to know myself better. Sure. Um, based on that, because at the end of that interview process, you get this binder with all your assessments that oh, talk wow. about. Um, you know, your MBTI, your thinking styles, your mm-hmm. um, other, yeah. See, uh, what is it, the DISC assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, really got a really good snapshot of where you were in your personal development, mm. professional development. So that was really great.
0: Is there anything you've learned about yourself that was a surprise?
1: Um. If nothing, it was um, highlighting some blind spots that I may not have thought about. So I think it was really valuable. Interesting.
0: Okay, so how long have you been at Ambassador now?
1: I've been there for just a little over three years. Three
0: years, all right. So a lot of people, I think they know some of the brands under the Ambassador umbrella. Yeah. But what is Ambassador Enterprises?
1: So it's interesting. The brands that you're talking about are the operating companies where they have a product mostly a product, right? Okay. So that's a much easier thing to understand. Yeah. Um above them then is some of the holding companies and then more holding companies. So, you know, sometimes we refer to ourselves as a holding company of holding companies. Okay. Um, we're the mothership or parent company and we um develop these platforms that these holding companies and other operating companies live under so that we have, you know, um Recreation. Yep. With Correct Craft and mm-hmm. um, American Landmaster. Yep. We have building supplies with Ambassador Supply w- and some of their entities. Yep. Uh, engineer Solutions with Solve Holdings, which holds um, some engineering groups as well as a couple other holding companies, which yep. owns companies in Nashville. Okay. Uh, in the conveyor market. Okay. Um, we have a property development and property um, management group mm-hmm. called Via, Whole, uh, Via Developments. Okay. And am I missing one?
0: Well, I, well, I want to use an example to make sure I'm understanding it. Yeah. So we work with Ambassador Supply. Yes. Standale Home Studio is one of, their one of their companies. So Standale is a subset of Ambassador Supply. Ambassador Supply is a subset of Ambassador Enterprises. Am I yes. following that correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So – There's a lot of different brands under the Ambassador umbrella. Yeah, what work do you do, and how do what role (laughs) do you play in managing all that? Because you're you're used to working, you know, in an agency, you work with a variety of different brands. Yeah, is it kind of like that, or how is it?
1: Um, No, um, you know, that was my um, I guess that was my understanding going in, and at the time we were talking about creating an in-house agency where we had a uh, you know, a brand a um. Head of Brand, mm-hmm. we had somebody who's essentially an account person. Yep. We had a graphic designer, and I was going to come in as creative director, and we were going to work in an agency type mm-hmm. fashion to service some of our affiliates who need marketing help. Yep. That plan changed in yeah. a few um, in a few months. You know, there were some planned um, obsolescence mm-hmm. where we shrunk. I think we, when I started Ambassador, we were about 45 mm-hmm. employees, and there was um, a intentional growth mm-hmm. initiative where we got up to about 60 people. Mm-hmm. But I think as that happened, mission drift happened yeah, a little bit. Sure. So from there, we started to shrink back down um, to a smaller, smaller organization. I think Daryl Doden, who owns Ambassador, has always had this vision of being a lean mm-hmm. company, very flat. Yep operating each, um, you know, each individual operating as part of the team. Um, but I think conditions made that vision happen faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't want to speak too much into that because I don't, I know enough to know enough. Yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) But the idea was there's always a plan to be lean. Yep. We got away from that plan a little bit and with, um, you know, market conditions with COVID mm-hmm. that really accelerated that vision yeah. getting to that uh, lean company.
0: Got it. So so tell me about some of the things you spend your time on. When, <clears throat> when you're thinking of like the, the big to-do list items that are yeah. on your plate, what are some of the things that are representative of the work that you do?
1: Um, a lot of internal communications mm-hmm. and um, just really defining – it feels to me in the three years I've been there, it's defining who we are mm-hmm. and, and getting it to the point where people understand who Ambassador is. Yeah, um, Ambassador hasn't changed yeah. since it started, but I don't know that we've done a good job of putting out our identity in a way that people can understand who we are and what we do. I think people who build a relationship with us understand sure. the impact that we're yep. trying to create. But on the surface and in the general public, people hear our names because we do invest in a lot of um, nonprofit organizations. We invest in some community development things. And then, you know, we're in the business of buying companies. Yep. Um, People know the name or seen the name but don't understand who we are. So we're, you know, the easiest way to say is uh, we're a legacy-minded private equity firm. Yep. And by legacy minded, I mean we are not a purchase and flip. We are a purchase and hold. Yep. And trying to build a company. The reason we would purchase a company is because we think there's a demand market in uh-huh. the market that they're in. Yep. There's a strategic leader or in place or, mm-hmm. or possibilities. And, um, you know, there's a sustainability. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is uh, invest in companies to keep them in the community to um, build the owner's legacy, to build the company's legacy um, in three way, you know, in three, when we talk about three returns, eternally, culturally, financially.
0: Okay. So here's a question. It's going to sound like a challenge question, but it's really curiosity. <laughs> Some people, you know, when they talk about holding companies, they say the holding company is behind the scenes. The holding company is sort of the <clears throat> material, what matters are the brands under the holding company. Why is it important for Ambassador to get its name out there and to become a known quantity in addition to its entities becoming known quantities?
1: I think you're right in saying that the whole the operating companies are really important for holding companies mm-hmm. because if it wasn't for the work they were doing at that level, we wouldn't exist. We yep. wouldn't have reason to exist. I think what Ambassador helps is to be able to um, invest in those companies so that they become more sustainable yep. and scalable so that's that's that dynamic and that relationship between owner and operator okay uh, or co- operating entity is yeah. uh, we have to keep pushing them forward they have to keep bringing returns and that's part of our three return strategy mm-hmm. you know again w- we want to lead with our faith mm-hmm. um, in the marketplace uh, and do the things that we're supposed to do, do the things that help people, you know, relationships closer to God. Sure. Um, That's, you know, mission number one. Number two is we want to make sure we improve the culture and the community. And then number three, which again is an important part of it, is that financial sustainability. So why are we marketing ambassador? Um, Yeah. No, I think it's important for people to understand who we are to know who we are and know what we're trying to do and that's create impact in in the community. Um, one of our goals is to be the preferred legacy partner mm-hmm. in Northeast Indiana. We're focusing on Northeast Indiana because that's where we all live, You know, whether sure. it's in Auburn, whether it's in Fort Wayne. So I think it's important for people to know us so that when there is a strategic investment or a legacy investment, we're maybe a second generation owner is ready for transition and they don't have a path to that transition, we're at the table.
0: Yep. So this is a a new role for you because it's not (laughs) just graphic design. Yeah. Not to diminish what you did in the past, but it was pretty easily defined. Yes. You're doing graphic design. It, It could be a website. It could be a brochure. It could be anything in between. This is a lot more nebulous. There's a lot more going on.
1: There is. So
0: what's that been like?
1: Uh, an adventure, <laughs> growth. Um, yeah. you know, started graphic design. I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to create designs that looked good, that were balanced, that represented the brand well. moved on to art director. I needed to make sure the illustrators that we hired were the right people. The writers mm-hmm. we worked with were the right tone. so yep. we start to touch brand and also visually aesthetically pleasing, right or yep. or on brand. You get to a creative director, you're really managing people managing projects managing brands even clients yep. to a certain extent. So that was my path. Now at Ambassador really I'm managing myself, I'm managing up mm-hmm. and I'm managing down. Uh we're a pretty thin company in fact at this point you know we started with 4 when I started I'm now I am the marketing department. Yep. Obviously with help from a lot of people around me. Sure. Very um Just experienced, talented people who aren't marketing specialists. Yeah. Um, So I've had to be able to translate that in terms of communicating who we are, communicating our why, communicating the things that the impact that we're trying to create um, in a way that people outside the company can understand. So I think that's the crossover from being at an agency where you're trying to um convey the brand to its audience. Yep. I'm trying to do the same thing with AE to our audience, but from an internal side. Okay. So marketing, while I've been around it and I would never I never profess to be a marketing person, but as an art director, as a creative director, you kind of have to know all those sure. circles. So now I'm not only around it. I'm trying to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you absorb a lot of that as you yeah. go from working in the industry. Yeah. Right? yeah. So
1: while it's not directly related, it's been in that same area.
0: Sure. All right. Well, let's let's switch to the quick hit part of the program where I ask you a few <laughs> questions. And as I was explaining to a previous guest, sometimes our guests are really good at giving me answers <clears throat> that are short, shorter than the questions I ask, but there's certainly no imperative to do that. Um, yep. You've had a really interesting <laughs> career, you worked at a lot of different places, had some upheaval that you didn't expect, and you've, you've adjusted well from that. You have kids in college, and I'm sure you try to talk to them about careers. What kind of advice do you have for others when it comes to success in a career, perseverance in a career, fulfillment in a career? What have you learned that you think people should know about when it comes to building a successful career?
1: I think it's finding that thing that you like to do that maybe you're good at or you have a propensity for, but it has to have value to somebody else. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and that's one of the things that, again, one of the things I've learned at Ambassadors, you really have to reflect on what value are you bringing to the company. Mm -hmm. If you're just there collecting a paycheck, you're in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And and I can say that to any job you've ever had. So for me... While you say I've been in a lot of different places, I've been to different places, but I'm not sure in the, you know, I don't even want to count the years, <laughs> but I really yeah. haven't sure. been in that many places. I think we had an exercise recently where we counted how many jobs we've had in our lifetime. And and in, this includes retail, grocery
0: stores, and things yeah, before you launched. Yeah,
1: Including high school from yeah. the time I started working to now, I believe I'm at eight.
0: That's not very many. No. That's not very many at all. Not for my age. Yeah. Well, I think I had eight or nine before I started my true career. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: So, again, you know, my philosophy has always been uh, find something you enjoy doing, find people you work with who you enjoy and get along with, Um, but also make sure you're bringing value to that organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. So, Ambassador Enterprises is a quiet company in a lot of ways, um, but has a solid reputation locally. One of the things you're obviously charged with is helping tell people what the organization is and what it does. How do you sum that up as succinctly as you can? If you're asked, what is ambassador? (laughs) What what might you say?
1: Um, What is ambassador? I think um, first, you know, we are in the business of buying companies but it goes so much deeper than that. Um, we talk about uh, one of the, you know, first and foremost, uh, we invest for the glory of God and for three returns, mm-hmm. and that's in everything that we do. Yep. Um, it used to be in the order financial, cultural, eternal. Meaning financial, you have to be sustainable mm-hmm. and profitable in order to do the cultural and community yep. um, investments or or improvements that you want to make in people's lives. And then eternal. But now I think we've flipped it because really eternal is the most important part. We can do anything we want. We can plan anything we want. But in the end, God decides what happens. Mm -hmm. So we do our best to, to operate following our faith and then following our heart to try to make the impact that we keep saying that we want to make
0: so really being true to the mission at the end of the day yes yeah okay yes. so when you think of your role in that um you know what are some of the misconceptions you think people have about creatives in general um and and what's the reality <laughs> of that in your work
1: um i think the you know misconception from a uh, graphic designs art directors is people aren't good at math <laughs> now i've always been decent at math yeah um I don't profess to know finance. Mm -hmm. I leave that to the experts. So really my job within AE is to make sure our messaging is on brand. We are helping identify ourselves so people can self-select into any partnerships or collaboration that we do with them. Yeah. Um, Back to your question, misconceptions. I'm not sure that there are a lot of them like we're flaky yeah (laughs) right um but i guess i've always viewed myself as um, not necessarily creative in Mm -hmm. the way that i can paint and create music or whatever sure i've always needed parameters to do Mm -hmm. the creation that i do whether it's communication whether it's design Mm -hmm. whatever else it might be i'm It's for a purpose rather than just creating freely.
0: Yeah, well, and it's one of the things that I always enjoyed about working with you is that I think you look at design as a problem-solving tool. Yeah. And it's kind of where that engineering mindset comes in. Yes. Um, There's one of my coworkers who was on the podcast recently, Brandon Pete, who's a web developer, is that to an extreme where – and I think you have facets – not that Brandon doesn't have it, but I think you have a stronger sense of art – but you're able to convert that into problem solving design that ultimately tells a story sometimes along with words and sometimes yeah. fully using visuals more than words. It's true with photography too.
1: Yeah, and I think that's funny because um I agree with that that I try to look at everything for what it is. I, I've I've never felt that I was creating art. Mm-hmm. I've always felt I was solving a communications problem. Yeah whether it's words, whether it's how you shape the words, whether, you know, how it works in design. I mean, one of the running jokes I had is, I remember working on um, a radio campaign Mm -hmm. and I told our creative director, it was here at Asher, I said, I want credit, art director credit (laughs) for that radio spot. And it's not because there was art in it, and there is an art to communications, art to writing, definitely an art to writing, which I'm trying to learn. Yeah. but it's that thinking and problem solving that really helps you know the overall message yeah. that that shapes these campaigns as you know yeah. from a writing perspective so i think ideas and concepts can come from every part of the team yeah and if we are hopefully good um we can contribute in a lot of those different ways you know one of the things i used to love most was um coming up with the music mm-hmm. for hmm. TV spots or radio spots. Yeah. So that's not an art director thing. Yeah. It's a creative thing.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I I can say with confidence because I've worked with a lot of designers is I think you are an outlier in a positive way in the – in the degree to which you ask questions.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, I, I remember once, I, I think, I don't know if this was the exact quote, but you and I were driving back and I was like, I know you're going to ask me nine questions. I don't know if I need the first one or the last one, but yeah. just get going because I know I'm going to get a lot of questions.
1: And and that's funny you say that because I just, I just read something recently and we go back to assessments and um, I assessed ENFP. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I saw were I need a lot of um, clarity Mm -hmm. in order to proceed into that problem solving. So I need context, and I think that's why I've always asked sometimes too many questions to the point where I tired the person out, or (laughs) maybe there are questions that in the end probably didn't matter. But it's it's that. But they helped
0: get you to the question that did matter. Yes, I I would guess you're high C on the disc assessment. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Very. (laughs) He had to think about Uh, it for a minute before he said yes. C,
1: S, I, no D. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, and I'm the opposite. I'm I'm high D, high I, a little bit of S, and absolutely no C, which is one of the reasons I think we work well together. Yeah,
1: and that's part of collaboration, right? Yeah,
0: for sure. So one last quick hit question. You know, you've we've all been through the last 18 months and had upheavals in our work life and upheavals in our personal life. And hopefully we're coming out of that, although it remains to be seen when. But what are what are some of the things or maybe one thing that you learned during the pandemic that you didn't know before that is going to stick with you for the rest of your career? <laughs> Anything that comes to mind?
1: Two things. One, on a, on a less serious note, um, I need a change of pace in terms of my environment because sometimes you just don't feel like being in the office. Sometimes you yeah. don't feel like being at home. And I know... Early on in the pandemic, I mean, I was at my desk at my computer working, you know, the time I'm supposed to be in the office, right? But I didn't know when to quit. Yeah. So I worked so much more during that first time. But then after a few weeks or a couple months, I started feeling burned out and I needed – I felt like I needed to be in the office. Yeah. We I were, had the same
0: experience, same exact experience. Yeah, so yeah. it's
1: just that different mindset, that different mm-hmm. environment. So we were fortunate enough that we were able to go back mm-hmm. to the office um, on a voluntary basis, mm-hmm. uh, and it was up to us individually, so that was great to have that freedom. Yeah. Um, we had enough office space that we could distance yeah. and make it work. So I spent time going back and forth mm-hmm. depending on what motivation I needed. Yeah. And, and again... We go back to assessments. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and one of the things that nines do is they slack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to fight that tendency, and by changing environment, by changing yeah. inspiration, I address that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned there were two. So one is the importance um, of changing environments. The other and, one
1: and is, you know, um, life. Mm-hmm. Life versus work. There is a time where you have to unplug. Yeah. You have yeah. to spend time. I think. I don't think I did a good enough job of prioritizing life during the pandemic, but I think there was discovery or that enlightenment to go, you know what? We can work hard. We can take time away from that work to spend time with the family, especially with now kids, two kids in college. Yeah. Um, I don't think I took advantage of that work from home situation that maybe other people might have. And yeah. I, it's a regret, but it's also a um, an insight learning into Um, how you spend your time.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, with our kids being about the same age, um, we, I think, you know, one of the things that you learn, I I took it for granted that, you know, my son's always here. Mm -hmm. I can always catch up. And then you realize, oh, no, I can't. And that's when you get the imperative is when they're not around all the time. It's like, oh, now this time is super important because I can't take it for granted. It's one of the many lessons I think you learn too late in life, but not too late for your life, if yeah, you will.
1: Yeah. I agree 100%. I yeah. mean, it's still taking or getting used to not having kids at home right now, you know? Yeah. There's. I wake up sometimes with the expectation of, I'll see Josie or Tom. Yeah. You know, I'll run in them. And not that I'm specifically looking to do that, I just expect to do that. Yeah. But then realize, oh, wait, I'm not going to. Yeah. yeah. So now it is an effort to go see them, to talk to them. Yeah. Um, whether or not they want to see me, that's a different story. But <laughs> I have the it's same, the same idea. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I impose myself on my son yeah. even when he doesn't want to see yeah, me. Yeah. In
1: fact, we'll do that tomorrow night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, I'll run into you in Fort Wayne or on the Ball State campus. But yeah. it's been a pleasure learning more about you. You and I have yeah. known each other forever, but I learned some new things. So <laughs> well, thanks for great. doing it.
1: Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me here and. My ramblings. (laughs)
0: Well, my, my ramblings always overtake everyone else's, so thanks for putting up with that. And thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.